Welcome to the Liberators Podcast, a podcast designed to promote physical, psychological, spiritual, and financial freedom. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Liberators Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Lieutenant Candace C. Williams, who is a native of Gonzales, Louisiana. She commissioned into the United States Navy in 2012 as a recipient of the Navy's Health Profession Scholarship Program. Lieutenant Williams' first tour of duty was at Navy Medicine and Readiness Training Command, Great Lakes, where she completed a one-year advanced education and general dentistry residency program. Lieutenant Williams received her bachelor's degree from Xavier University of Louisiana, where she graduated magna cum laude with a bachelor of science in chemistry and a minor in biology. In 2020, Lieutenant Williams received her doctorate of dental medicine from the University of Alabama at Birmingham School of Dentistry. Following her dental education, Lieutenant Williams completed officer developmental school in Newport, Rhode Island, prior to her first year of active duty service at NMR TC Great Lakes. There she provided dental care to active duty, military personnel, recruits, veterans, and military dependents and disciplines, including comprehensive dentistry, oral diagnosis, operative, prosthodontics, endodontics, CAD, CAM, digital dentistry, and oral surgery. Lieutenant Williams has published her personal dental research, Bruxism Stress, among veterans with Gulf War illness, in the Association of Military Surgeons of the United States Journal of Military Medicine. In addition to serving as the dental department head for the USS Fort Lauderdale LPD-28, Lieutenant Williams also practices twice a month at a local nonprofit low-income dental clinic in her community, Chesapeake Care Clinic. Lieutenant Williams is also an adjunct associate professor at Old Dominion University School of Dental Hygiene. Lieutenant Williams is passionate about increasing diversity within the field of dentistry and assisting the next generation of young professionals reach their goals through mentorship and creating opportunities in education. Lieutenant Williams serves on the admissions committee at the University of Alabama in Birmingham School of Dentistry and began the conversations for the first early assurance program between Xavier University of Louisiana and UAB School of Dentistry. Lieutenant Williams is a member of the American Dental Association, Academy of General Dentistry, and the National Dental Association. Please join me in welcoming a very special guest for today, Lieutenant Candace C. Williams. How you doing? I'm great, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. You you do a lot. (laughs) Yeah, wow. It was crazy for me to hear that. I was like... Wow, do I really have all that going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what what motivates you to be so involved to, you know, um to really a lot of people might not know, but you've been like this since Xavier. Um, you know, but what motivates you to reach the highest level of what you want to do? Honestly, I think Xavier and just pursuing my career has kind of instilled in me to just be active and to be involved in things. Um, Even before I got to Xavier, I knew in high school that I wanted to do dentistry. And so I knew researching that, that you have to have the resume, you have to be involved in different things, you have to do your shadowing, you have to um, get your volunteer hours, be involved in the community, have your extracurriculars. So I think from an early age, I was just always like, okay, well, I have to have all these things going on to make myself a good applicant. And then at Xavier, it was to become a good applicant, but also enjoy being involved in the things that I was a part of. And now I just continue on with that and just try to find things that I'm passionate about and that's in my field, but that also brings me interest and in, um, what's the word? Um, fulfillment. Joy. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. Out of my work. And so, I think from a young age, I, I just started doing that and I never stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know Xavier has this like concept of being a servant leader. And it's like a lot of us carry that out there, you know, even though you have your 
full-time position, you know, of working as a professor, working as a dentist, you still find time, you know, to work in those areas where people might not be able to afford your services otherwise. So, you know, that's something that's, that's definitely great. And I feel like, you know, it's needed. Definitely. It is. Um, the two Saturdays a month that I work at uh, Chesapeake Clinic, I'm seeing uh, Spanish-speaking patients. I'm seeing patients who are below the poverty line who, like you said, otherwise wouldn't be able to see a dentist whatsoever. And they're able to come and see me and pretty much get any service they need done for $30, which is unheard of in dentistry. Dentistry is a very expensive service to seek out. And so just to be able to provide my services to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get them is very rewarding for me. And I, I mean, I make, I make a little bit of money, but at the end of the day, I feel good about what I accomplish on a Saturday. Absolutely. Um, Tell us more a little bit in detail about the journey that you took from, uh, I guess, you know, starting at Xavier to going to UAB to now the current role that you're in right now. Okay, sure. So um, like I was saying before, I always uh, knew that I wanted to do dentistry from probably like ninth, 10th grade. So okay. I pursued that early on. Um, and then when I got to Xavier, um, I pretty much just hit the ground, ground running. I met Miss QV and she and <laughs> I have QV. never parted since. <laughs> um, and if you guys don't know who Miss QV is, she's the pre-med advisor at Xavier and she is top notch. She is mm-hmm. the best. She will get you prepared and get you, you know, on the right track. So um, she basically gives you the blueprint for what you need to do. And at Xavier, my freshman year, after my freshman year, I did a summer program at Columbia. Um, At the time, it was called the SMDP, Summer Medical Dental Education Program. But now I believe it's uh, SHPEP, which is Summer Health Professions Education Program. And it's really just a six-week program at different universities um, across the country that gives students interested in different health professions an opportunity to meet students who are actually in training um, for those specific professions. And you get to talk to professors, you get to take prereq courses for the courses that you need to get into the school um, and just really immerse yourself in the profession that you're pursuing and meet like-minded people who also wanna pursue that profession. So that was a really great experience for me at Columbia. And some of the people who I met at that program, I'm still good friends with. I actually met my husband there. So. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was definitely worth it. If nothing else. Right, I right, right. <laughs> so did, so and, did y'all like carry over from there? So we were friends. We were friends at the time. I was okay. actually dating someone else at the time, but um, probably a group of five of us were all good friends and like four of us were from the South and one of us was from up North. He's from New York. And we just stayed in touch over the years. Um, My husband went to University of Alabama. So we were in New Orleans. So we would go visit a UA and then they would come to Xavier, come to New Orleans and hang out. And we just stayed good friends, stayed in touch. Some of us are in different professions than what we had originally set out to do, but Mm -hmm. we're all doing great. And so I think programs like that are amazing um, to interact with other people who look like you, who are like-minded and who have similar goals. It's really big. I agree. So to get back to your question um, on my journey. So I did some summer programs. I did the uh, program at Columbia. Then I did the following year, I did a program at what used to be Baylor College of Dentistry is now known as Texas A&M College of Dentistry. And that was another six week summer program. And it was completely dedicated to getting you ready for the DAT, which is the dental admissions test. So that program is another awesome program because they pay for all of your preparatory books and courses to help you study for the test. And those can be very expensive for anyone who is preparing for, has prepared for that type of exam. Um, those courses and books are very expensive. So to have a program provide that stuff to you and give you a blueprint of how to study and how to prepare is really amazing. And so did that program uh, after my sophomore year. And then after my junior year, it was, it was time to apply. So working with Miss QB in the pre-med office at Xavier, I 
pretty much had everything that I needed from my application because in the years prior, we were already working on my personal statement, working on my CV, those types of things. I had been shadowing. I had been working in some dental offices locally and I applied to seven dental schools. Those schools that I applied to are the three schools in Texas. So Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, LSU, which is my home state. I'm from Louisiana, UAB in Birmingham, Alabama, Columbia, where I did my summer program. And I also applied to Nova Southeastern in Florida. And I got accepted to all seven schools. Um, so that's something that I still am very proud to say because it's not common to be accepted into not every school that you apply to. Um, so that's something that I'm proud of, but I think it comes from just taking it day by day and step by step from the time I was in high school to really the day that I stepped foot at Xavier and working with the pre-med office the whole way through. What made UAB uh, the school for you? Because I, I know Columbia, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful campus. It's New York. So um, what made UAB the campus for you? Yep. So it was really a tough decision. Um, I really liked uh, UAB when I interviewed. It wasn't on my radar. Initially, I wasn't even going to apply to UAB. But uh, Dr. Danielle Williams, who was two years ahead of me at Xavier and also right. UAB, dental school graduate was in her second year at UAB when I was applying and she told me like Candace you need to apply to UAB it's a great school like I have a great environment here there's um they care about African Americans um there we have like a network amongst ourselves and you Birmingham is not that bad and I was like okay like whatever you yeah. say <laughs> like as a Louisiana girl I'm like not really trying to go to Alabama and mm -hmm. I also really like the Texas school that I did a summer program at. Okay. Um, so mm -hmm. I was like, sure, I'll apply. You know, Danielle knows what she's talking about sometimes. So I'll apply. Right. And that was my first interview that I had. And it was a great interview. Um, everyone that I met throughout the interview was very friendly, very personable. And it didn't feel fake. It, it just felt like genuine Southern people, like just being nice to you wanted to get to know who you are genuinely. And it was not intimidating at all. Some interviews can be intimidating in the atmosphere that the interviewer creates. And it wasn't like that. Um, and then after, Danielle actually set up a meeting with all of the Black students and myself, and we were able to have dinner together. And so I was able to meet first year, second year, third year, fourth years, um, who looked like me. Um, I, and honestly, I had never met that many Black dental students before. And they were very down to earth, very personable. And it just made me feel like, wow, like I can really be at home here and have a home here, a home away from home. Right. Um, and that wasn't something that I experienced at other at the other interviews. So that Absolutely. was very unique. And it was my first interview. So it really set the tone. Mm, okay. Okay. So it's kind of like you comparing everything to that. Exactly. Yeah. And then also, I mean, UAB is a great dental school. It's one of the top dental schools in the country. They're very known for their clinical programs. So as a dentist, you have to work on your hand skills because that's essentially what you do every day. You're working with your hands. And mm -hmm. so it's more than just textbooks. You have to know your stuff, but you have to know how to apply it in practice. And UAB has some very high clinical requirements for what they require their third and fourth year students to do in the clinic. And when I compared those numbers to what some of the other dental schools uh, require, it was just no comparison. And so it, that can be intimidating, like, wow, this is going to be really hard. But I also had the mindset that I'm going to graduate and I'm going to be a good dentist. And so that's what was important to me. And no shade to Columbia or the Ivy League institutions, but they are more didactic in their focus. So mm. more textbook, more research. Um, and that just wasn't the type of dentist that I wanted to be. I wanted to be good with my hands and knowing that I was gonna be going into the military or that was my goal at least, I wanted to be ready to practice day one. Mm -hmm. I just know a lot of like students choose prestige over fit and culture. 
And that can create a problem a lot of the times, you know, because yeah, you get the name, but at some point in time, you're going to have to apply for a job or you're going to have to start your own business and they're going to be worried about what you can actually do, you know, not <laughs> the name, you know, so the name can get you in the door, but it won't keep you, you know, and I think a lot that's of, you know, I think a lot of people yeah. forget that, unfortunately. That's very true. And, and I think in some regards, a degree from Columbia versus UAB may be way better and it may have been the better route to go but I think for dentistry specifically I think I made the right choice for me and it's all about you have to consider what type of school do you want to go to um, what class size do you want so UAB um, has a class size of 60 where I think Columbia has a class size of 80 and then some of the other schools I applied to were 100 or even more so I coming from Xavier, a smaller school, it was important to me to still not feel like, still feel like I could know everyone in the classroom. And right. I could have conversations with my professors and feel like they know me and I know them and we can have a relationship. So that was another factor as well. And I'm also, like I said, a Louisiana girl. So to go all the way to New York and freeze, it's probably not gonna be a good thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it wasn't bad. You know, when, when I did my year in Columbia, I actually felt at times is more cold in the South because of the feeling of the cold. It's so yeah. like wet, like, you know, the, the, the wet cold. Yeah, the humidity, like the moisture in the air. I can feel that. However, I did do my year in Chicago at Great Lakes and oh, I have never you didn't like it. More- in my life (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I I can feel that more cold in my life the Chicago is an awesome city and my husband and I he was my fiance at the time but he did move there with me and we had a great time because Chicago is a great city there's so much to do it's beautiful and it's clean it's not yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I would say like I can deal with the big cities in doses, but end of the day, I'm still a Southern girl. I feel that. Yeah, absolutely. So for someone that wants to become a dentist, um, what are some things that they should know as far as like how they should prepare, what type of skills they may need, the commitment that it takes to become one? What are, what are some things like if you had like to make like a little starter pack sheet, you know, for someone wanting to become a dentist, what would it be? I would say first and foremost, you need to spend time with a dentist and see what a dentist actually does on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Because I think the average person probably doesn't have a good understanding of it just from their annual visits or their two visits a year where they go and get their teeth checked, get some x-rays and they get a cleaning. Um, So, and then if that's the only experience that you really have at a dentist, then you might not know what a root canal is or how an extraction is performed or what crowns are, or what veneers are and how those things are made and how we do them. So I think it's very important to shadow and spend some time in the office and maybe multiple offices to get different perspectives and see if this is something that you can actually see yourself doing because it's, it's a very different profession um, and you can't really know that you wanna do it until you experience it. And then if you do decide that that's the route that you wanna go, then we have to start looking at our grades. So GPA, you have to start thinking about your DAT, which is the dental admissions test to get into dental school. And then also, oh, go ahead. So right there. What would you say is a good GPA range? Because I know you work with admissions. So like, mm-hmm. what is a good GPA range? What is a good DAT range that you feel like a competitive student needs to have? So I will say GPA and DAT are not everything. However, anyone who I counsel and talk to, I say you need to have the highest GPA possible. You need to have the highest DAT score possible. And I don't say that to discourage people, but you have to be competitive regardless of who you are, what color your skin is, because it's just competitive. And there are so many people applying and so many applicants that come through and you have to stand off the paper. And if you have a 2.5, you're gonna have to have a lot of other things like come going for you for them to look at your application. 
Okay. So honestly, I'm not sure that I can give like specific numbers, but if I, got I was applying, I would want to have probably like a three, five okay. or higher. And that's, that's just me personally knowing that I would want to be competitive. Um, not to say that somebody with a three, three Oh can't get in or even Absolutely. below a three. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we're talking like competitive, I want to be the best applicant I can be. That's what I would shoot for. And then DAT scores, I'll just say for myself, I had a 20 and the highest score is a 30. Um, I think the average may be like a 17 or an 18. So okay. do with that what you will. Um, and I believe I grad graduated college was like a 3.7. So I can share my numbers and I think that'll be helpful okay. for the audience. Yeah, but I, I, I had interrupted you. I'll let you keep going. Yeah, so um, DAT, GPA, um, we also need to work on personal statements, which is just like a one-page document that expresses why you're interested in the profession, what you have done to pursue the profession, and just who you are as a person, just mm -hmm. what you would like to share with the admissions committee that they may not otherwise know about you just looking at transcripts and grades. And finally, a personal um, post-secondary experiences form or a CV, a curriculum uh, vitae, basically that's just a really detailed resume. So uh, whereas a resume may be one to two pages, a CV is probably gonna be five to 10 pages. And it just details all of the things that you participated in, whether it be community service, volunteer hours, jobs that you've had in college, um, internships that you've done, summer programs, any scholarships or awards that you've received. And that's something that you don't want to wait to create until you get to the application. You want to have this document ongoing um, throughout your collegiate experience. So I talked earlier about how this was something that I was working towards like day one when I got at Xavier. So, you know, maybe as a freshman, you might have two things on it. But every time you participate in something or you join a, new, a club or a new activity, you want to add that to that form. So it's a living and breathing document that you constantly update. And then when it does come time to apply, you have all the information there already. Maybe you just need to review it and edit it and make sure it's good to go. Mm -hmm. So I think those are the biggest things that you need um, just for like a basic application standpoint. And then also you wanna be a well-rounded applicant. So what are you doing outside of your grades? Um, extracurriculars, are, do you play sports? Um, are you in any clubs? Are you in any honor societies? What do you do for fun? Um, just things like that to make yourself not just a bookworm. Right. How would you define the rigor of dental school? It's tough, it is very tough. Um, and it goes through different phases based on the years of education that you're in. So your first year, for example, is gonna be very textbook heavy. Um, and in most dental schools, they're gonna separate preclinical and clinical um, by year two and three. So the first two years, you're gonna be in a simulation lab where you're practicing all your hand skills on um, a mannequin. And then, so everything that you do, once you see a live patient, your third year or the end of your second year, you have already done it many, many, many times on a mannequin. You've had practicals um, and exams to prepare you for a live patient. So though you may have never done it on a patient, you should be pretty proficient in the skill. And so the third and fourth years of your education, you are seeing patients, um, probably two patients a day, morning and afternoon. And then you probably also will have some classes that you're taking in between there too. Okay. You said your third and fourth years are like that? Yes. Okay. Okay. Definitely. Um, as far as um, we're going to segue a little bit into your experience with doing the military as well as dental school, uh, what are some pros or cons, if you could say, of pursuing a graduate education, a professional education 
while having that military backing. Okay. So with that, I'll say that there's different routes you can go. So first I'll explain the route that I went and then there's some other options as well. So the type of scholarship that I had for my military portion or however we want to word that uh, military scholarship would be the Health Profession Scholarship Program. It's known as HPSP, Health Profession Scholarship Program. So that scholarship can be four years, three years, two years, based on what you apply for. I applied for the four-year scholarship. I applied the same time that I was applying for dental school. And it's a four-year scholarship that covers all your tuition. Um, and they, if you're out of state, they'll pay your out-of-state fees. So any accredited dental school of your choice that you get accepted into. They'll also pay or reimburse you for textbooks, um, required equipment for school. And then you also get a monthly stipend, which I use to pay my rent and gas and groceries, those types of expenses. Okay. And with that scholarship, you do not have any military obligations while you're in school. Your only job is to go to school, get good grades, pass your classes. However, there are some scholarships like the health, health professions collegiate program um, may be saying that wrong. I think it's HSCP. The one I did is HPSP. So just Google it, HSCP. And that one does require some military obligations while you're in school. Um, but that one is also good for people who have a military background, who maybe were in the military before, have some enlisted service, and they don't want to lose those years and they want those years to count towards their retirement okay mm -hmm. so that's another route that you can go um but with that you get paid a, a salary so you get paid as an e7 which is enlisted like the seventh rank um while you're in school as opposed to them paying your full tuition so that's a little bit different there um, but with both of those scholarships, once you graduate, you will be a lieutenant or a O3. And this is for the Navy. The ranks are, are different in the different branches. Okay. But across the board, you would be an O3. Okay. How did you decide on the Navy itself? So honestly, I just applied for all the branches because okay. <laughs> the scholarship is the same in all the branches. I think the okay. only thing that is a little bit different and something that I didn't mention with the scholarships is that there's a sign-on bonus. Mm -hmm. um, there's a $20,000 sign-on bonus when you initially say, you know, you sign the dotted line and say that you're going to do it. I think the Air Force does not offer the $20,000, um, but the Navy and the Army do. Anywho, I applied for all three because I was like, the scholarship's the same, so let's increase my chances. Uh -huh. I got accepted into the Navy and the Army. Um, midway through my application cycle, the Air Force uh, cut the funding that year and they oh, just wow. said, you know, we're okay. not, not going to do it this year. So I said, okay, that's fine. Um, my parents both served in the Air Force. So that was kind of my first priority. Um, however, they didn't have that $20,000 sign up bonus. Wise. So so maybe it wasn't my first. Um, I found out first <laughs> from the Navy and second, maybe like a month later, the Army told me yes. Um, but by the time the Army told me yes, I had already had to make a decision on the Navy. And to be honest, the Navy has way better locations, in my opinion, than the Army and in the Air Force as well. Um, the Navy is always going to be not always, but most of the time by water because we right. deal with ships. And so you're probably going to be next to a beach or ocean. So I thought that that was nice. Okay. So that's how I came to the Navy. Basically, I just applied to all of them. I got accepted to two and the timing for the Navy worked out the best. Okay. Do you like the training that you get uh, from the Navy? So... If there's any training involved, you know. So there is training, um, but the training is not so much medical related. It's okay. more teaching me how to be a naval officer. 
And so that is another dynamic that you have to consider if you're even going to be interested in looking at any of these scholarships is that you have to realize that there's another responsibility associated with these scholarships. You're not just, I'm not just a dentist. I'm like, I'm also a Naval officer. In fact, the Navy says that I'm a Naval officer before I'm a dentist. And so with that comes the responsibility of leading people, leading sailors. And so like I'm the dental department head. And so I have people who work for me and who work under me and they may be fresh out of high school, came straight to the military. They may have degrees, they may have experience, but these are my people and I have to take care of them and I have to lead them and teach them. Um, so that's something that you have to consider. It's not just a nine to five job. You are an officer in the military and there's some responsibilities that come with that. So my training that I get as far as that, I, I do like it and enjoy it. Um, it's something that you not you didn't you don't really know what you're getting into until you get into it right. um even though my parents were in the military it was when i was very young and so i didn't really have much experience with it and so like you see movies and you see stuff about the military but i think mm -hmm. it's just something that you, you you don't really know what it is until you're in it um and i've met some really amazing people from all over the country all over the world um, from lots of different backgrounds and they're really, really nice, genuine, hardworking people who do what they can and work for our country every day. So I'm really honored to be in this role and to serve our country in this way through dentistry. Yeah, definitely. Both, both my parents are vets as well. And my dad was telling me, you know, they got him with the whole dress uniform when he seen it on TV. And he said yeah. we got over there. He was like, <laughs> he was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but by that time, yeah. you know, you've made the commitment. So right. you know, you're in it. Yeah. So that's another thing is that I, it's hard to kind of get that experience before. Like you can't go shadow a Navy dentist the same way that you can right. a civilian dentist. Um, so it's best to try to find someone who's in the role and ask questions and try to probe them and get to know what it is they're doing. Because honestly, I don't think I knew what I was signing up for when I signed up. And I don't mean right. that in a bad way, but it's I think known. I, I, I kind of had the idea that I was just gonna do dentistry and I don't just do dentistry. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so you, you do a lot of work as a dentist, um, as a professor, as a community leader, as an officer. Um, and you still had the presence of mind to say, I want to nurture and help the younger generation that's coming along have a, I wouldn't say an easier path, but, but a more accessible path, you know, to their goals, um, which is you creating the, the bridge program between UAB and Xavier. Uh, can you break more, can you break down more about what this program actually is, who is designed to help? Um, yeah, yeah, we can start there. Sure. So being a pre-dental student at Xavier, um, you're kind of out of, um, in the minority because a lot of people at Xavier want to go to med school. Wow. So everyone is like very med school focused. And so Xavier has a lot of early acceptance programs or assurance programs for students that are um, interested in going to med school but none for dental school. And I know a lot of dentists that came from Xavier, but we never had a program like that or had that opportunity. And I always thought, man, I wish we had something like that. Like I would apply for that, right. but it didn't exist. And so, you know, in hindsight, like here I am now, I've graduated. One of my research mentors as um, at UAB became the um, assistant Dean of Admissions at UAB. And she reached out to me and she said that she's interested in increasing diversity at the school. And how did I think that she could do it? And I gave her, you know, a couple ideas, but my biggest suggestion was partnering with HBCUs because HBCUs are producing so many of our professionals in the world, whether that be in healthcare or engineering or whatever the case may be, especially um, 
in healthcare, so in medicine and in dentistry, and especially at Xavier. Mm -hmm. So I told her, like, there's no better place to start than my alma mater. Absolutely. And she loved the idea, and she was really serious about it. And I got her in touch with Miss QB. And honestly, they made it happen. I think I just started the conversation and presented the idea. And within less than a year, they created this program. So basically the program is for um, pre-dental students at Xavier who would like to go to dental school and they can apply for early acceptance into UAB School of Dentistry during their sophomore year there are some specific requirements for the application. I'll be honest, I don't know them all. Okay. It's, it is an extensive application. So I would recommend um, any just freshman or sophomore at Xavier who's interested in dentistry and serious about it to really sit down, have a meeting with Ms. QV, the pre-med office, and go through the application. Um, make sure you have the basic things together, like your DAT score, you will have to take the DAT, have a high GPA, get your personal statement together, get your CV together. Those are things that you can already have together and anything additional that the application requires, then you you know, you know can work with them to make sure that's together. So honestly, I can't take all the credit for the program. I just presented the idea and I'm thankful that the people at my alma maters were serious about making the program happen. And that's Ms. QV, um, the provost at Xavier, and Dr. McKenzie, who's the assistant dean of admissions at UAB. Mm -hmm. Well, everything starts, you know, with an idea or a concept, you know what I mean? So uh, without that, you know, we'd probably still be sitting here talking about how to increase diversity. And it's, and it's really, uh, I find a lot of schools talk diversity or say that they're but it's not really diverse the culture is not diverse you know i don't yeah. think that you can have a diverse culture if three of your students are black you know what i mean so i would agree, <laughs> I would agree. and to be honest the woman that i'm referencing at uab who is now the assistant dean of admissions she is a caucasian woman mm -hmm. um i worked with her on my research project and she's she's a great lady um, but she said to me straight up, she was like, honestly, like I'm a white woman. I don't, I don't know all the answers. I don't know how we can increase these numbers. So what do you She's think? over diversity? She's the assistant dean of admissions. Oh, okay. So she's okay. interested in increasing diversity okay. in, the, right. in the school. Mm -hmm. So, and since she has hired someone to help with that. So she is serious about making it happen. And I think kudos to her for, Absolutely. Saying that, you know, I don't know everything and asking someone like me, like, I'm not, I'm not a dean. I'm not, I don't work at a school, but she asked me my opinion just based off of my experiences and look what it has produced. So uh -huh. I think some of these schools, you know, they say that they're interested in increasing diversity, but they don't really know what to do. And maybe they haven't just been honest about saying like, I don't know what to do, or I don't know who to talk to. You know, I want to partner with the HBCUs, but I haven't been able to get in touch with anybody. So I think the first step is just asking for help or, right. you know, making those connections. And, and I think and some HBCUs schools don't care. Like, say that again. I was saying, I think some schools just don't care. You know, they're like, you know, this, this is the culture here. <laughs> like, yeah, and culture. it's all about the leadership. I mean, we got a new Dean of Admissions and look at the changes that she's put forth in a year. She mm -hmm. has hired someone that's dedicated to diversity. That's her entire role is, role is like engagement and diversity and a partnership with the HBCU. So sometimes it's, we can't like put it on the school itself, but it, it might be the people who are in leadership at the school. Right. And a lot of times those people have been there for years and years and years. Sadly, you know, they sometimes you just need some fresh life in there. But um, <laughs> uh, let's say what why is this something that you feel like? Why, why do you feel that diversity is needed in uh, places like dentistry, medicine, law? Because I was having the same conversation with uh, with Wesley a few weeks ago. And he was saying, you know, well, it's the same thing in law, like three percent of us is lawyers and 
you know, we went to uh, HBCU professional school. So we see that. And it could kind of almost make you feel that the world is like that, but it's not. You know, you get to the real world, it's like, yeah, we become scattered out. You know, everybody's going in different places and things like that. So I guess like my question to you is, why is that diversity needed or based on what you see, even even working as a professor or working in the military, like what do you feel that having diversity can add to that environment? I would say for me, the realization happened when, honestly, it's probably happened my whole life. If we start way back, even like in elementary school, I went to a private school up until I got to high school. Then I went to a public school. But in the private school that I went to up until eighth grade, I was like one of two black kids, maybe one of three or four max. So that's not a, a welcoming environment for a child or a student in any regard to be in a setting where you don't have anybody that looks like you. Anybody did you realize it at the time? I think at some point I did. Probably okay. not like super young, but probably in middle school, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, the high school I went to was probably like 50-50. It was it was a good mix. Um, but even then in a public high school, I was in all the like the honors and the AP classes. So then again, I'm isolated because yeah. there are not that many black people in those classes. Um, so then I went to Xavier where I saw so many people who looked like me who was trying to do things that I was doing, which was so refreshing and so good to see. But then I went to UAB and it was the same thing all over again. We had six black students in my graduating class and I graduated with 60 people from my original class. UAB has a program where they bring in international students um, in your third year. So these are students from like India, China, and they're actually already dentists in their country, but they don't have US degrees. So I guess that does make the class more diverse. However, the class that we started with, the original 60 students, there were six black students, including myself. Four of those being women, and two being men, and one of those men did not make it. So really five that graduated in my class. And y'all can do the math, it's it's not good numbers. And that's not reflective of our population. And so that's where I see the need because I can't expect people to want to be dentists and they get to school and they don't even feel supported. They don't even feel like there's anybody who looks like them. Like it's not even an enjoyable experience. School is already hard and you don't have anybody that you can relate to. Then let's talk about when you get out of school, who are the people who are gonna serve those black communities? It's probably not my white classmates, if I'm being honest. And that's no shade to them. Like you can work where you wanna work. But when I think about who are the people who are going to go give back to the communities who are low income and who don't have access to care? It's going to be the minority students. They're going to give back to their communities that they're a part of. And so that's why diversity is so important because we have so many people who don't have access to care, don't have providers who look like them. So they don't feel comfortable with their providers. They feel like they can't talk to them. They don't understand what they're saying and there's so many reasons honestly why it's important yeah yeah <laughs> it's so many right and and yeah. there's been studies to confirm that that patients feel more comfortable you know with someone that's from their culture and I think that's just normal you know I and, and everybody another thing you know with students that are wanting to go into careers like medicine like dentistry everybody's not going to have that mindset to to go do it alone. You know what I mean? Everybody's not going to have that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to storm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just work hard, work hard, work hard by myself. Everybody doesn't have that. Some people need community, you know? Yeah. And thank God that I was in a class with five other African-Americans graduated with four others 
but you never know what your class dynamic is going to be because you have no control over that. You say mm-hmm. yes to the school and, you know, you hope that maybe they accepted somebody else. Hopefully there's another black girl in the class. Hopefully there's mm-hmm. another black guy in the class and you get there and it is what it is. So we had five to six in our class, but then the year after us, there was one. She was by herself. And I don't think I could have did it, honestly. If yeah. I was her, I don't think I could have did it. So it's tough. Yeah. That, that's how I made my decision. I, you know, I was like, you know, this is going to be my last chance. You know, my last little hoorah. Because after this, it's over. You know, I, I already know what that dynamic is once I get out of there. So um, I think just keeping that in mind and being in a place where I feel supported, uh, you know, is important. But, you know, sometimes... That's, that's not to always say, you know, sometimes the agency might not be the school for you, you know, and I think that's a real conversation that a lot of people don't want to have is it might not be, you know, for you, it depends on the person, uh, you know, where you feel like you can get the most help, the most support and stuff like that. Um, for somebody that wants to do the same thing with creating a bridge program, what advice would you give to them? To the school or to someone who wants to like help a school make this happen? Someone who wants to help the school make it happen. Okay. I would say get in touch with whoever their dean of admissions is, whoever their diversity and inclusion rep or counterpart is, if they have one. And whatever HBCU that is, um, whether they have like a pre-medical advisor or counselor and try to connect those people that's honestly that's what happened for me that's how it worked for me and you have to kind of gauge and see like are they even serious about this um Mm -hmm. because I don't think it'll work if you have to explain to them why it's important as an institution that has to be something that they desire and that they want to do and And if it is something that's important to them and you present the idea and you create a bridge to make it happen and create the lanes of communication to make it happen, then I think it won't, it won't be an issue. It's just paperwork at that point. Okay. Um, And like you kind of mentioned earlier, it's not going to happen for every school, but I think at some school, we all probably have that one professor that we know is like, you know, they, they can help me out with this or, they might be interested in this and somebody that you can talk to um, both on the university side and the professional school side. And I would say, try to, to make those connections. While we were at UAB, we also did um, outreach programs to two HBCUs. Like we would go to um, Spelman and Morehouse and Clark Atlanta. And they had um, kind of like a dental, um, exhibit or I'm not sure if that's the right word to use but basically they had reps from different dental schools come in and you just got an opportunity to have a table and like pitch to the students so it could be starting there and just Mm -hmm. increasing exposure to students about what your school and what you have to offer it might not initially start as a bridge program but then as you see that you have more students interested and then maybe from like a specific institution then maybe you could have that conversation absolutely okay um i know also you're you're you've created a service that um helps young professionals um that want to go into different uh professional careers tell us a little bit more about that yes so i have a lot of requests from pre dental students and honestly just pre-professional students um, reaching out to me like hey I have an interview coming up or hey can you look over my application or I want to apply to dental school what do you think I should do so I thought it would be a helpful experience for me to create a website or some type of launch pad for people to get in touch with me so that they could set up these type of appointments or get these services from me. So basically I made my own website. It's drcandiswilliams.com, D-R-K-A-N-D-I-S, williams.com. And essentially the site just introduces me, 
Um, I just share a little bit about myself. I give my educational background, some different things that I've been a part of, and I'm offering different services. Those services include um, a one-on-one -on -one session with me where we can just talk about career advice or whatever it is you have going on wherever you are in your educational journey or your professional journey. And we can talk through, talk through what are the next steps that you need to take. Moving forward, I'm also gonna be offering some professional document review services. So whether that's your personal statement, your CVs, your resume, um, or if you want me to just look over your application before you hit submit, that's something that I'd be happy to do. And then finally, um, just some one-on-one -on -one guidance. So whatever it is that you need and you wanna talk about, I'm here for you. So if you guys wanna check out my website, it's drcandacewilliams.com. Um, and I also have my email on there. If you wanna shoot me an email and we can just brainstorm and come up with a plan for you. Yeah, that's great. Cause you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of students because it's, the access everywhere isn't as vast. You know, when you're when you come up in like a school system where half the times the teacher or your counselor doesn't know really which what, what you want to do or what you're trying to do. You know, yeah. um yeah, I think I just looked up went to Xavier. <laughs> you know, and truly, uh, no, honestly, that is so true for us because even when I would talk to students from other schools, it would be like, you have somebody to help you do your personal statement. You have somebody that reads over this. And, and we had so many resources from Miss QV and from the pre-med office that I would, honestly, I would just share it with my friends. I was like, yeah, like I could just send this to you. Like it tells you what to do. You just fill in the boxes everything and then I'm talking to so many other people and they're like we didn't have that like I just had to do it on my own yeah and I realized how blessed we were at Xavier and that's why Xavier has the numbers that they do as far as like getting people into school and getting people to complete school and so once I realized that and realized how many people just need the help I figured what better way than for me to share what I know Absolutely. We actually have a, a pre-med office. <laughs> like some people, they just have like a pre-med advisor. Like we actually was like taking a class. <laughs> it, was, like, and it really is a class. Like you have to be there like once a week or once a month. Right. But yes, yeah. and you had to get your signatures and like right. it was not a game. Right. And, <laughs> and QV don't play anyway, not, you know. No, she does not play. And she will get to get you together and tell you about yourself. <laughs> what you need sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like once I realized that this was not standard and every school didn't have this and honestly, most schools don't, I was like, wow, like what yeah. would I have done if I didn't have Miss QV? That's, that's what I'll be saying, you know? And then too, it's like, it's, it's, it's her ability to follow you after you graduate too. You know, it's yeah. a lot of students that end up maybe not going the next year or if they take a gap or more than a gap, you know, she's going to still make sure that she's following you, you know? So, and that's hard to do because that's a lot of students, you know, she has these a uh, hundred and some incoming freshmen coming in every year, you know? So it's, it's a lot that she has on her, but you know, they, they do their job very well. And, you know, I, I don't know where and I would honestly, be. They just created a system and it's, it's like a foolproof system. If you get mm -hmm. grades, do what they tell you to do. You're on time. You, you, honestly, you'll be fine. Like they give you the blueprint. And mm -hmm. honestly, that's all I want to give to people because it's not impossible. You can do this. Like you can achieve it. If your goal is to be a physician, a dentist, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, whatever the case may be, it's very possible. It's just not going to happen overnight. And I mm -hmm. think that's what people have to come to realize and accept is that it's a process and you have to do things in a certain order and be strategic about it but it's very cap very possible and very you're very capable of making it happen definitely um okay we're gonna kind of close up here uh what what is a motto that you live by oh yeah we, we we end every everyone <laughs> <laughs> ah, um 
say, I like to say, just do your best and forget the rest. That's something I tell myself sometimes, or just give it to God or do your best and just like give it to God. Um, Because sometimes things are out of your hands and all you can do is do your best, put your best foot forward, put your best effort forward, prepare. Um, You know, you can't just not prepare and not plan and expect magic to happen, but I think as long as you put in the work, good things will come. I agree. I agree. But the 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 key element there is that everybody don't want to put in the work. You know. That's true. Yeah, That's true. And lately, I've been telling myself um, how important consistency and discipline is. Like, mm-hmm. you can't just do something good once. Or, man, I'm gonna really like hit it hard tonight and then not touch it again for another month or another week. Um, so lately for me, that's something that I'm working on is just in my fitness. Um, and like my new goal for myself is to work out five days a week. Uh-huh. And so ideally I want that to be like Monday through Friday, every morning before I go to work. And it's not that I have like these supreme body goals or anything. I just really want to do what I say that I'm going to do. And yeah. I think a lot of times people are disrespected when somebody tells them they're going to do something and they don't come through. They don't do what they say they're going to do. But a lot of times we tell ourselves, man, I'm going to work out tomorrow. I'm going to work out next week or I'm going to do this next week. And we don't do it. Breaking up promises with yourself. Yeah. So you you can't break your promises to yourself. You got to keep your word to yourself and you got to be consistent and stay disciplined and the results and the success will come. Yeah. And, and two, like, that's something that I've noticed is that a lot of people that obtain a level of success, you find out that they're, they do everything that way. It's not just, yeah. it's not just school. It's not just exercise. It's not just their spiritual life. They approach every part of their life with a certain level of discipline, consistency, and, and time. You know what I mean? And that that's what will ultimately lead to you being successful for and for the long term you know because and then that's another thing too people put in work and then start getting Slacking. comfortable yeah. yeah they're like oh i'm, I'm at dental school now huh, all right. like, but yeah I now you gotta it. work <laughs> yeah you gotta work in yeah. there too yeah and i think for me that's another reason why i'm always doing so much and in so much because i don't want to just become complacent or mm-hmm. just be like you know, I reached my goal of becoming a dentist. Life is good. Right. And it is, but I don't want to, um, you know, I'm only 27 years old. Like that's crazy. So, so many more things that I can accomplish and hope to accomplish in this life. And so I think you just got to keep, keep yourself busy and keep working and don't become stagnant or complacent. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I, I do want to ask you this final question. It just kind of came up. Do you think that the relationship or the example that your parents set helped like the way that you approach life, the way that you approach career, everything like that? Yeah, I will say yes. Um, So my mother is an attorney. Um, So my whole life, I had an example of a strong black woman who had a doctorate degree and Mm -hmm. who really is just a boss. Um, in her own right and so my father he he didn't finish college but he worked his way up through um, his company at Shell and now he's a project manager at Shell and he really was hard on me as far as like my education and working hard and I think maybe in part because he didn't finish school and he saw the value it would have brought to his life if he did Um, and I think he also just knew what I was capable of even before I did. And so he just really pushed me hard to be my best and to do my best. Uh-huh. And, you know, make, if a C was my best, then that's okay. But a C probably wasn't my best. Right. And, and so I think that's kind of where I get that from as far as just like working hard and doing the best that you can do. Absolutely. Okay. Do you have any uh, final comments? Any any last thoughts that you know you would like people? Something that you would like people to know, or 
anything like that you had already gave your conf- contact information a little bit earlier that's usually what I ask right here um, oh yeah well I would say go check out my website drkdubwilliams.com okay. <laughs> um you can follow me on Instagram drkdub um dr period kdub mm-hmm. and just keep grinding whatever you're doing in life whatever um your passion is just keep working hard don't become stagnant don't become complacent stay disciplined stay consistent and find somebody else who's coming up and help them to do what what you're doing you know be an example for somebody else Mm -hmm. okay we'll appreciate it and and we thank everybody for tuning into another episode of the liberators podcast thank you for having me absolutely If you're still here, you're enjoying the Liberators podcast. We ask that you would share and rate us on your favorite listening platform. Also, follow us on Instagram at the Liberators podcast. If you would like to support the development of this podcast financially, please follow the support link from Anchor in the show notes. Thank you for your time. Stay liberated from yours truly, your host, Jeremy Shropshire.